The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. Get up close and personal with some of your favorite male porn stars on one-on-one with Poppy Chulo. Created by Poppy Chulo, one-on-one showcases exclusive interviews with the adult industry's most popular male performers. Here's your host, Poppy Chulo. Welcome to one-on-one with Poppy Chulo. Today is Tuesday, June 20th, 2023. Listeners, Please welcome gay adult star on the rise, Nolan Knox. Welcome to the show, Nolan. Thank you for having me, Poppy Chilo. It is wonderful to have you on. I'm so glad that you were interested in being interviewed. Yes, I am happy to be on. This is my first ever interview, so I am a little nervous. I did not know that. Uh, well, I'm incredibly yeah. honored that, uh, that you said yes. I am also honored that you reached out and wanted to interview me. Fantastic. Yes, of course, of course. All right. So typically, I like to start off these interviews by getting some unique stats out the way. So what's your height and weight? Yes. So I am teetering between 6'1 and 6'2, and my weight right now is closer to 150 pounds. What's your ethnic background? I am half Vietnamese and half Thai. What's your zodiac sign? I am an Aries. And how old are you? I turned 28 this year. Let's get to know a little bit about the man behind the performer. Where are you originally from? So I grew up in Los Angeles, California, and then moved to... Virginia when I was 14 in 2010. Oh, that's interesting. I would I would assume yeah. that that was a little bit of a culture shock. It was. It definitely was. Took some adjusting. Um, we moved to what was a then more of a country town. Um, so it was interesting. Yeah, and also, I mean, you go from a place that, for the most part, is sort of viewed as much more progressive to, you know, a place that's much more conservative. Yeah. Um, we went from being a part of a bigger majority as um, minorities, and then when we moved... The, the difference was clear. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, there's a huge AAPI uh, population in California, yep. and then you go to Virginia where, I mean, you know, not to judge Virginia, but I, I don't feel like it's known for its large AAPI population. It is not, at least not where we moved to. Um, there, There is a big Asian population up north, uh, but we moved down south. Okay. And I would assume, because that was your teenage years, right? Yes. I would uh, assume. My formative years. <laughs> yes. I mean, the formative years. I mean, and and that's usually when one starts, you know, thinking about sex, their sexuality. So you go from someplace that's 
maybe a little bit more open to a place that's a little bit not. Yeah, funny you say that. Um, before I moved from Los Angeles, I had just, I was comfortable enough to come out to my close friends then, not as gay because I wasn't comfortable with it, but as bisexual. And then when we moved to Virginia, I just shoved it all back in. Wow, so you had to completely, because of your surroundings, because of the conservatism, you just had to completely repress your expression. Yeah. Well, yep. Period. Period. It was not as progressive as it is now. There has been some progress, thankfully, but not when we moved. When did you first realize your sexuality? I started questioning it when I was around 13, I believe. Um, I grew up very sheltered, so I did not have access to the internet until around that age. And then that's when I started browsing the site and realizing, like, hey, I'm not like everyone else. So you mentioned that when you were in California, you did have a friend group that you were able to come out to. But then, unfortunately, with the move, you had to completely repress all of that just based off of, you know, where you moved to, the conservatism there, and that sort of thing. When were you able to, for lack of a better word, break free? Like, when were you able to really unleash who you are? Not until the last half of my senior year of high school, and then more freely when I went to college. Were you able to develop, you know, a close friend group that you were able to come out to? Not while I was in high school. Um, I did have a close friendship with one other person before I went off to college, and then it I developed more into a deeper friendship once I got back from my freshman year of college. So there was a bit of time where I didn't have that friend group where I could just say anything. I was very controlled when I was younger. You mentioned that home life was incredibly sheltered. Was it difficult to come out to your parents? Were you able to? So I have not officially come out to my parents yet. Um, not that I don't want to, but my parents are very in that Asian immigration, um, Asian immigrant mindset. It's very collectivist. Um, and I mean, I still wear makeup around my family, so it's very obvious. But I've learned that it's better with them to not rock the boat, especially when there are some health concerns that I just don't want to exacerbate with them. And that's a very polarizing topic, I know. Um, some, I've been told to just do it, to come out, I'll feel better for it. But now that I've gone older, I've had a decade to come to terms with it. I realized that it actually won't be better. Uh, my dad has slowly accepted it without me having to say anything, but my mom is of the mindset that uh, ignorance is bliss, 
and I'd rather keep it that way <laughs> for now, for now. Um, I'm single, so I can't, I don't have a partner, but once I do have a partner, I know that situation will change. Listen, every situation is different. Everyone knows what's what's best for the situation that they're in. And if people are going to judge, I mean, people are going to judge things regardless. You know what I'm saying? But you know what's right for yourself. I mean, clearly you've come to terms within yourself. And at the end of the day, that's probably the most important thing, period. You know, what anybody else thinks should not matter. I wholeheartedly agree. Yes. And I'm sure there are many people that are listening that might be in similar situations. So, you know, props to you for the honesty and the candor. Of course. I like to be honest. Um, I'm not very I'm not a very good liar, so I've learned to be honest but tactful. Um, and that that just came with working in the industry and uh, talking to other people. It's been an interesting uh, life so far. Let's head into the direction of the industry. What was going on with your life? What were you doing with your life prior to entering the gay adult industry? Prior to me diving into it, I was actually thinking about going back to college. I had dropped out in 2000. 15, I believe, um, and then I was taking a bit of sabbatical, and then I think it hit 2018, um, and I was just working, I believe at that time I was working a part-time job as a server, and then one of my friends had told me that there was a video going around of Pornhub of me and someone else and so by the time I got looking at it there were about 300,000 views so that that was my prior to the adult industry experience that led to my jumping into the adult industry itself well I I, I mean I have a follow-up what was the video like was this I mean, clearly you did not know that the video existed. I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. Like, was this a revenge porn situation? What What was this? How did it get on Pornhub? So I'm not too clear on the details. The person I filmed with for that particular video, um, after we met, we filmed it. We just lost contact because I was visiting New York at the time. So he he lived in New York. We agreed to film it, and then I think like six to eight months later, um, the video was released. I wasn't sure why. I don't have his contact info. I didn't. I still don't have it, and I believe he posted it, or if he sent it to someone, they posted it just to post it. Uh, for me, there was like no malicious intent behind it, or I did not detect malicious intent. I just found it. I thought it was interesting. Um, I was more flattered that there were more views than I was offended. Oh, okay. There you go. All right. So it was with your consent that it was filmed and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I consented to the filming. Okay. All right. 
Well, yeah, I mean, based off of the views, I mean, it sounded like people were really loving what they were watching. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was at the time where you still didn't see a lot of feminine-looking um, guys topping, and I was topping in that video, and it got a lot of traction. Before Pornhub did their whole re-evaluation re and like took down hundreds of thousands of videos. So prior to that moment, had you ever thought about porn? Well, actually, you know what? Before we even get into this, let me just say this. Because you were talking about you were going to go back to college to finish up your degree. That can be done at any time, I'm just saying. Like, you know, don't think that it's ever too late to go back and complete your education. I just want to put that out there. If you want to go back... Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. So if you want to go back, I mean, you can always make time to do that. And I always feel like a degree is incredibly important to have. Yeah. So prior to that moment, when you viewed yourself online and you saw how many people you know, we're clicking and watching and all that kind of stuff. Had porn ever crossed your mind as something that you wanted to do, that you wanted to try, that you wanted to experience? Very fleetingly, um, for multiple occurrences. Uh, my best friend and I would joke about it all the time because I loved filming my encounters with consent, I loved filming, but that was for personal use. I would, I never thought about posting it, and that was due in part to some self-consciousness because my thinking was, well, there are all these other attractive guys out there. They're all muscled and toned and, like, no one out there has my look, so there must not be a marker for it. So it was all said very jokingly up until that moment. And then it was just like, okay, people like it. I might as well give it a go. Very interesting. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that might think the same thing. And um, I'm saying this for you, but also for them that might be tuning in. There is an audience for everybody. You know, there is an audience for everybody. Everybody that wants to be a part of the industry, they can build their own audience. And there are going to be people that are going to want to see you. So uh, don't ever have self-doubt, is what I will say. I appreciate that. I, I have grown to have that uh, belief as well. So, yeah. <laughs> Took a lot of work, but I, I got there. Let's talk about your performer name. How did you come up with your porn name? Where did the name Nolan Knox come from? That's actually a pretty funny yet lackluster story. Most of the models I talked to had some meaning, meaning behind how they picked up their names. For me, I was in the car with the same best friend. We were driving back from Ikea, and I was just throwing names out or what I could use as a stage name. And I think five minutes in, I just said, how about if I made my name Nolan Knox? And then it just kind of stuck. There was no meaning. It was just a name that paired well, and we went with it. I like it. I love an alliterative name. 
So it works. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Very nice. In total, how long have you been in the adult industry? I would say if I counted when I started, it would be five years. And if I counted when I took it seriously, it would be about three and a half. Very nice. Very nice. All right. So let's talk about the first time you were on set. What was that experience like for you? Because I feel like you entered the industry clearly comfortable in front of the camera because you were filming your own content. You know what I'm saying? You were filming your your own encounters, not necessarily for release, for your own sort of personal collection, but you were already filming your encounters. So I wonder if that allowed the first time you shot a scene professionally, did that allow you to have a little bit of comfort in front of the camera or because it was, you know, a porn shoot because the vibe is different, uh, you know, were there some nerves? What was going on in your mind the very first time that you officially shot a porn scene? Yeah. So I have my core. I'm an introvert. So when I film things, I'm at my most comfortable because I'm in control, and I still love being in control. So when I agreed to do my first porn studio shoot, I was as nervous as I was when I first started out because I knew that even though I had some measure of control as the model, I did not have control over the camera angles or the overall plot of it. When I'm filming for by myself with someone else for my audience, I know what I want to do. I'm comfortable. I was in a place where I kept things simple. So my first porn shoot really got me out of my comfort zone. I came in equally as excited as I was nervous. I was also a bit scared because I had not met any other models, and the models I worked with were pretty big. Um, my first shoot was, was with Peter Fever, and we did a parody on the popular Netflix series uh, Squid Game. And one of the more popular creators that I looked up to were Danny Ice and Dane Jackson. So. When I came on set, I was a bundle of nerves. I did not know what was going to happen. I thought I was ready to shoot. And then it turned out that the whole environment was completely different. So I had to readjust to a, a porn set mindset. May I just say, after interviewing performers now for like 15 years, it's always fascinating to me to hear when a performer is like an introvert in their personal life. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, as a performer in the industry, I mean, you're you're kind of forced to be an extrovert. You know, because at the end of it all, what you're doing is sort of a form of exhibitionism. You know, you're having sex in front of the camera for all the world to see. So it's fascinating to hear that in your personal life, 
you're a bit of an introvert, you also enjoyed the control, and that's sort of like what kind of soothed your introverted nature, was like having that control over the filming. But then, you know, as a porn performer, you relinquish that control, you know, because someone else has the control. Someone else is, you know, holding the camera. Someone else is controlling how the scene is going to look. That's a, that's so fascinating to hear. Like, yeah, the psychology behind all of that is really interesting. Yeah, I thought I was ready. Um, I knew when I was putting on a persona of Nolan Knox, I knew that I would be more extroverted than my usual self. So that took some getting used to. I have learned now and adjusted to putting an extroverted face out when I am working. But that, at the end of the day, that does drain my batteries. So when everything is said and done, I take some time in between to recharge so that way when I have another collaboration, shoot, or event to do, I am charged up enough to put that extrovertedness out there. Um, I did not have that skill set when I first started filming uh, for porn studios because I was not sure if I could do it. And so that took some trial and error. What do you enjoy most about starring in porn scenes? I would say what I enjoy most is actually meeting the other models. I'm sure you've heard that a lot from the other models you have interviewed, but I truly enjoy meeting other people, getting to know them, getting to know their persona. There are some models that we have, where we have gone deeper than surface level, but I still find it fascinating to see if the personas we put out mesh well together. And there have been some models where the chemistry has been so natural that even when the camera isn't rolling on set, we still keep going, if you know what I mean. And then there are other models where we know it's strictly business, where when the camera is done rolling, we're done. And then we start again when it goes back up. So I find it fascinating um, interacting with other models when I'm starting at a porn set. When you're on set, when you're shooting a scene, what turns you on the most and what turns you off the most? That is an interesting question. Um, if I did this interview when I was starting out, I would have said that the thing that turns me on the most would have been like body play, nipple play, um, plural. And now what turns me on the most is along the lines of that is more physical touch, um, the more intimate aspect of sex that you usually don't see in, in some content, I find that absolutely erotic. 
and sorry, I got I got distracted thinking about some some past experiences, but um, yeah, I would say physical touch is a big turn on. My body is super sensitive, so you could touch me anywhere, and if the chemistry is there, I will spring a boner right then and there. One of the major turnoffs for me would be lack of eye contact. I don't know if that's weird, but if we can't maintain some sort of eye contact during the set, I just feel not, like I'm not enjoying it as much. Uh, there isn't that connection. And I understand for some people it's business, but when there isn't some sort of connection, I, my body knows, and my body will, will betray my thoughts, and then I will need some time to reflub up a bit. So, yeah. How would you describe your fuck style? How would you describe your style of fucking? I was actually talking to someone about that. Um, I thought my fuck style was pretty standard, uh, pretty vanilla if I may say so myself. Um, but from feedback of other creators I've collabed with or done shoots with, I've been told that my fuck style is very affectionate. There's a lot of touching, um, which ties into my physical touch uh, turn on. But I am very affectionate when I am with someone um but there's also a flip side to that where if i'm super horny and i just want to talk um i get very dominant not verbally but in my actions and lack of words i've been told that once i'm in that mindset i'm a bit more rough um, there's a lot of hair pulling, a lot of neck holds, um, some choking, lots of slapping. So it honestly depends on which scale I fall on, on the horny meter. Over the time that you've been in the industry, at least in your professional work, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, I feel like you've been more of a top the majority of the time. You have bottomed on film in your professional work, but I feel like it cons it's considerably less than your topping. How would you describe your sexual role as a performer? Do you see yourself as being a verse performer? Do you want to do more verse work, more bottoming work. Uh, yeah, I want to get your take on just you as a performer and the sexual role that you want to express. Yeah, I do advertise myself as a verse performer, but I do tend to talk more. And that ties into when I first became sexually active, um, when I was 17, I was purely 100% a power bottom, and this is a recurring theme with most Asian 
uh, gay men is that they all mostly, for the most part, started out as bottoms. And so when I started working in the industry, I had transitioned from being a full-on power bottom to just wanting to top because I loathed bottoming so much I didn't want to do it. And then after some time of just topping, I started to be okay again with bottoming. Not as much as I would want to, but I'm still working on it. Um, my go-to is always to top. Bottoming is still a bit of an issue with me, and that has more to do with prior history than than anything else. Um, I do, when I do shoots or when I collab with other people, I tell them on birth, and if they prefer me to bottom, I will bottom. There's no issue. It's just I'm naturally inclined to talk. And in your personal life, would you consider yourself to be burst or more burst top? Like, how do you see yourself in your personal life? What's your sexual role? In my personal life right now, it is teetering on burst top. There are a few people I would bottom for, but I'm I'm still working through trying to be more comfortable bottoming, but also I don't want to just be, I don't want to fall into that category of a feminine bottom. So it's a bit of a contradiction, or a bit of a inner battle. I'm, I'm facing. Let's break a porn scene down. In a scene, which do you enjoy the most? Giving or receiving oral? I would say I would most enjoy giving oral. Yeah, that's my final answer. I enjoy giving oral on set. In a scene... In regards to rimming, which do you enjoy the most, giving or receiving? I would say that falls in on receiving. I can I can literally be rimmed for hours and still be okay. In a scene, what's your favorite sexual position to perform for the camera? As a top, as a bottom? As a top, I... I love doing either doggy or cowgirl, reverse or normal. At the bottom, I definitely prefer doggy. And then a little side missionary. And of course, we know how a scene ends with the cum shot, the pop shot. In a scene, where is your favorite place to, as a top, shoot your load, as a bottom, to take the load? So, as a top, my favorite would be a facial. And then, as a bottom, my favorite would be a facial. Uh, they're both great for camera. If it was a, co uh, a collab, I would definitely say inside of me as a bottom. But that's more personal preference. We talked about favorite sexual position for the camera, you know, 
for scene work and that sort of thing. In your personal life, what's your favorite sexual position? I, let's see, I would say missionary or cowgirl. Missionary when I want to give up control and then cowgirl if I want to retain control. Over the time that you have been in the industry, who have been some of your most favorite performers to work with? Now, I'm not necessarily looking for like a top 10, top 5, top 3, anything like that. I'm not looking for like a number, but just names that sort of pop into your mind right now as favorites. Yeah, so my favorite that automatic, automatically come to mind are Alfonso Osnaya, Zed Shang, and Dane Jackson. Now let's work on the power of manifestation. Who have you not worked with yet that's on your wish list? Who would you love to do a scene with, a professional shoot, or a collab with? <sighs> the most? Um, that's a toughie. Let's see. I would say... I would love to work with Tyler Wu and also Lane, uh, Lane B. Rogers, who used to be Blake Mitchell. Uh, those are my two top uh, wish list models um, for either studio work or collaborations. I would definitely want either or both. Um, I'm not picky. Both are excellent choices. Thank you. You're welcome. Are there any individuals in the industry that you look up to? Are there any individuals, whether they be in front of the camera or even behind the camera, that inspire you in what you're trying to do with your slice of the industry? Yes. Uh, there are three. Um, one is Tyler Wu. His work, um, he's figured out what works best for him, and he excels at it. He works hard at it. And along those lines, the same could be said for Alfonso and Zed Shang. I've worked with them both uh, numerous times, and I've seen all the work they put in on camera and off camera, and I have been doing my best to follow in their footsteps. I love that. Very nice. Now thank it's you. you can't tell that I'm smiling. Pardon? Oh, I said thank you. You can't tell that I was smiling. Right? I love it. I love it. Now it's time for the big question, a question I'm sure a lot of your fans and supporters might be curious to know. How much is Nolan Knox packing? So, I am packing about seven inches. It's a bit curvy and circumcised. Earlier we discussed, a couple of questions ago, we discussed the cum shot, the pop shot in porn. You know, it's known as the money shot. So I want to ask you, mm -hmm. how do you prepare for that? Do you do anything in particular when you know that you have a scene coming up to make sure that, uh, well, that the pop shot pops, for lack of a better word? Yeah, there are a few things I do, like uh, when I go to a set, 
I make sure to stock up on electrolytes, whether that's through Pedialyte, um, Gatorade, or any other sports drink. I make sure to stay hydrated. I severely decrease my intake of coffee. And I try to stay as nutritionally satisfied as I can. It's a bit more difficult to do when I know I have to bottom as well because there's a balance I have to do. But those are a few things I do when I know I need to do the money shot. There are, of course, instances where even if I am prepared, there are cases where it might still take me a while, but I try to decrease the risk of that happening. What I want to do now is shift the tone of the interview just a little bit so that we can talk about some of the more serious issues in the adult industry. And uh, the first question in this set is, are there any misconceptions or myths about porn performers that you would like to dispel? Yeah, there are plenty of myths and uh, misconceptions about porn stars uh, that are floating around the internet. A few of my other models have touched upon it, but there's the, the thought from subscribers, fans, followers, or from the average person that because we do porn, we're easy, or because we do porn, it's not real work. Um, a popular phrase now is sex work is real work, which I agree with, but there are still a majority of people who do not believe that. They believe that porn is easy, that anyone can do it, and I do believe that anyone can come into porn, but it takes somebody to be successful in that line of work. There's a lot of off-camera work that has to be put into it. There are a lot of hours dedicated to editing, networking, um, going around schedules, traveling, even posting on social media is, has become a big uh, time consumer in the porn industry. So there's a lot of work that goes into it that most people either ignore or um, make light of. Is there an aspect of the industry that you do not enjoy? Yeah. Yeah, there is. Um, for one, it's the obvious lack of diversity in most porn films. In the individual content creator sphere, uh, there's more diversity there. And there are some porn studios that are moving towards including diversity, uh, but that shouldn't have had to be an issue in the first place, is my belief. Um, so there is a lack of representation in the porn studio sphere of the adult industry. And another thing that I may get some heat for is that I believe that cancel culture has affected the environment 
that models and studios are in right now, and so there's not a lot of open communication that's going on. Let's actually break that down a little bit, if you don't mind, because I do ask performers on occasion about cancel culture, because here's my thing, you know, just, you know, full disclosure, and I'll say this from the jump, like, there are horrible people that should not be in the industry. You know, I feel like if you are physically abusive, if you are sexually assaulting performers, if you're being racist, you should not be in the industry, whomever you are. You know, the trash should be taken out. But I do feel like, you know, with performers sort of like coming into their own and feeling much more comfortable now, sort of like post-Me Too, post-Black Lives Matter, you know, performers are feeling incredibly um, comfortable in speaking about things that maybe were said in, in, in whispers. With that, now performers seem to be comfortable just calling out other performers on social media when, at the end of the day, it seems like whatever that issue was could have been handled privately. You know, it seems like a lot of miscommunications are being yes. dealt with in a very public way that, you know, can be damaging to a performer's career. And I don't fully understand that. You know, I, I don't understand yeah. the weaponization of calling people out because then, you know, it's almost like if I get my story out first, people will believe me. And then the other person, you know, responding to that performer kind of gets ignored and shunned and that sort of thing. And at the end of it all, I mean, it could have been handled just by a phone call, you know? Yeah. I agree with that. Um, I do believe that there is a time and place to cancel someone, but totally. But now cancel culture is kind of like, you know, when you were growing up, when the internet was coming out, and you would just spam like emojis. I feel like cancel culture is kind of like that now. Everyone kind of throws it out without any forethought on the consequences. And that's where it really hurts me. I am well aware that actions have consequences. But with everything going on, that seems to have taken a backseat. And people are just kind of being too aggressive and yeah I agree there are cases where it would be more preferable to talk about things in private than in public I have talked about this extensively with some friends but I believe that due to how easily accessible social media platforms are the line between private conversations and public conversations have been kind of muddled. And now the thinking is, 
well, if I can say it to them in private, then I can say it to them in public, what's the issue? And that the issue is what was supposed to be a one-on-one -on -one conversation now becomes a many-on-many -many with now polarizing opinions, facing off against each other, and there is no there's no constructive conversations going on anymore. I believe that you're hearing, you as in the general you, you're hearing what is said, but you're not listening. And there's a, a clear difference between the two. I just, when the porn industry grew due, the, due to the pandemic, one of the mindsets I grew with it was that every adult uh, model, everyone involved in the adult film industry should work together. But when you call out other creators or companies or anyone and cancel them, it kind of counteracts what you're saying. And I believe that actions speak louder than words. And so it's kind of hard to digest what is being put out there when what you're doing is the exact opposite. Um, yeah, I'm, I could go on about this. It's just I would love there to be open communication. I really would. And I would love to see a lot of public confrontation be pushed back to private confrontation because that would be more constructive. That would be more conducive to coming to an actual resolution, in my opinion. Uh, but I'm just one person. So most people are free to think what they, they want to. Everyone, everyone has their own experiences. So you may have a good experience with someone, and someone else may have had a bad experience with the same person. And both experiences, in my opinion, are valid. But you shouldn't have to blast someone if you had a bad experience. That's just my two cents, though. I just don't disagree with you on that. I appreciate the nuanced conversation. And I will just put a button on this by saying, if a person is abusive, if, you know, they are sexually abusive, uh, if they're being racist, if they're being physically abusive, they have earned uh, the right to be canceled. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah I agree. 100%. Um, but all of the other stuff where, you know, you know, just the petty stuff, I feel like really needs to stop. Like, it, it's just, it's almost ridiculous. I agree. And I believe that if someone wants to change, they are allowed to change with caveat, of course. Um, but they can't change if the people around them don't allow them to change. And I think that's one of the big uh, factors in, in society today. As a performer of Asian descent in the gay adult industry, have you ever experienced any racism, discrimination, or microaggressions? That's a definite yes. 
Uh, I would love to say no, but I would be lying. Yeah, there have been many cases of discrimination, racism, um, all of it, basically. In, in the five years, I've been a public face. From fellow performers, from the fans? A majority of it is from fans or from the everyday person. There are a few fellow content creators who also show those characteristics, um, which is unfortunate. Um, but most of it does come from fans. They're either very against Asians in the industry or any anyone that's not predominantly white, I'm afraid to say. And then there are those that are so into Asian um, that it comes off and becomes racist. We'll be talking about that right now. <laughs> as long as you're done with the with your answer. Yeah, because we can talk about that right now. Uh, were you finished? Yeah, I was finished. All right, let's talk about that now. Let's talk about AAPI fetishization in the industry. Let's talk about it just just in general. You know, your experience as a person of AAPI descent, dealing with performers, dealing with maybe scene scenarios, dealing with the fans. I just want to get your take on AAPI fetishization. Most of my experiences have stemmed from fans. Uh, there have been more men than I would like to count that would message me or come up to me sometimes at a bar and tell me that I am very pretty or beautiful or any other word that falls into the feminine side of the English language. Um, and that they would love to have an Asian femboy as their partner, um, as their bottom, um, to worship them, to please them, to be that fantasy they have in their head. And it comes off very racially motivated and I can't I don't see any other way to look at it um, there have also been fans who have messaged me with with hate comments that have told me that I am too feminine looking um, that I'm not masculine enough to be in the industry that my demeanor is too submissive too soft-spoken to do not be all-American manly man, um, so to speak. I have not had too many experiences in the porn studio industry. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to where when I would be reached out to by a studio, they would take my opinion into account so they wouldn't just tell me okay we're gonna have you bottom because of how you look 
Um, if I told them I was just in the mood for topping, they would just have to top. And if I told them all the verse, they'd give me a mix of both. So I haven't had too many studios tell me that they wanted to hire me just because of my looks and because I would be a great feminine bottom. That's mostly come from other models and other fans who want to see me fulfill that that role in their head. That um, a feminine looking person who wears makeup is only good as a submissive power model. Well, I would say shake the haters off, first of all. It's incredibly unfortunate that you've had to deal with all that stuff. I always ask performers of color about, you know, racism and isms in the industry. And it's always sad to hear when a performer has gotten it a lot. You know, it's the industry is its own machine, but then the fandom is its own machine as well. And so, like, dealing with that from both sides, I, I you know, I can only surmise that it's just incredibly heavy to have to deal with it all the time. It does get pretty exhausting uh, to deal with the discrimination and the racism, but I'm happy that other people are also speaking out about it because it is allowing change to happen. And it is unfortunate that it's happened to us but we're striving to make it so it doesn't happen to the people who follow us. Absolutely. That's why I always bring it up in these interviews, because I feel like sunlight is the best disinfectant. And a lot of people don't really realize yeah. it. And, and I think nowadays, you know, people um, are, are really starting to, at least some, I mean, not all clearly, because some people are still doing it, but I feel like the majority is really starting to figure out that, you know, words and how we use words, whether you intend it or not, I mean, they have consequences. You know, you might not have intended for something to sound a certain way, but at the end of the day, it sounded that way. So you just have to learn to adjust how you speak to people, especially if you didn't mean it in that way. There are some people that are going to say things and they mean it in that way, but I think a lot of times... There are a lot of people out there that are ignorant to, I mean, let's just be real, how to speak to people. That is true. I have learned that if you're doing a face-to-face -face conversation, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And if you're doing a conversation over text, it's not how you say it, it's what you say. So there is a clear difference between both situations that I feel is common sense to, to be conscious of, but we're not seeing it in everyday interaction. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You talked about representation earlier, so I want to talk to you about AAPI representation in the industry. What's been fascinating for me to watch as I interview performers from all sides of the industry is really how the gay adult industry has always done better in regards to having AAPI men in the industry 
versus the straight side of the industry. Over on the straight side, I mean, there are a lot of AAPI women in the industry, but, you know, as of right now, currently in the year 2023, there's like less than a handful of AAPI men who are, you know, actively working, working with the major studios and that sort of thing. On the flip side, on the gay side of the adult industry, there are a lot more AAPI men in the game. You know, are they getting work with the major studios? I feel like it's probably similar to the straight side in the sense that there are a handful that work for, like, the larger studios. But I feel like that's sort of kind of changing as well. So as someone who is in the industry, who's been doing it for a couple of years... I want to get your take on AAPI representation in the gay adult industry. That is an interesting topic. I have thought about that too. I have noticed that on the gay side of things, there is, as you said, a lot more AAPI representation. Are they in major studios? Not all of them, but more than they are in the straight side of the industry. Um, I do believe that that is mostly due in part to the work of the models themselves than the actual major studios. I believe that uh, LGBT plus people are the loudest and the most effective to get what they want done. And we don't see a lot of that in the straight side of things. Um, it's, it's been decades since porn came out and most straight categories have stayed pretty static, but you see a change in gay categories. Um, you see a lot of recategorizations, uh, new words being used in what is now what is now an actually offensive term for uh, the global majority. But I do believe that the representation of AAPI models in the gay industry is because of the work those models have put in. There are models like Cody Fea who have made it so that the bigger industries look at us. Um, there are mod there are studios like Peter Fever who try to be as inclusive and diverse as possible, but they're not studios like Men.com or Sean Cody. I hate to say it, I love watching them, um, but the discrepancy is still there. It's just not as big, in my opinion, as on the street side. I do believe there is still work to be done, um, but the door has been opened, and I believe that a shift has occurred. It's just taking longer than I would like it to. In your opinion, is there competition amongst performers 
in the industry? Yes, there's definitely competition, whether that's to get an idea that you have filmed, edited, and published, whether that's to collab with certain people or certain places. The, the competition is pretty fierce. I am still a relatively small content creator in the scheme of things. So there is a lot of pressure to collab with big names so you get the exposure. Um, so it's, it's like, it's not as bad as hyenas fighting over meat, but the metaphor is basically the same. Um, there are content creators who will only film with other models for clout or to hit a certain demographic or reach a wider audience that you don't see on screen that happens behind the scenes. And there is a lot of I wouldn't say backstabbing, but there is a lot of words that are said to try to one-up another person. Let's talk about dating while in the industry. As a performer who has been in the industry for a couple of years now, is it difficult to date while doing the work that you do? Uh, you reached my kryptonite. Um, dating and me don't seem to be very compatible, and I would say that being in the industry has not helped. There may be, the stigma around the industry may be dying, but the stigma against people who work in the industry is still there, so when I try to date when I tell people what I do. It's a very clear turnoff for them, and so it leads to either ending it, ghosting, or anything in between, really. Um, but that isn't to say that the people who are into it are also, who are okay with it, are also good. Um, there are people who exclusively want to date a porn star just to say they dated a porn star. So it's a bit tricky navigating while working in the adult industry. And yeah, my my luck with dating has been very bad. <laughs> well, hopefully that changes. Listeners, we'll set up like some sort of reality competition. Date <laughs> Nolan Knox. I would love to participate. <laughs> All right. Yes. Although that could turn into a porno really quick. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know? It could. It really could. Yes. Um, you'd have to subscribe to see that part. Though. Exactly. Bingo. I like it. Speaking of subscribing, all right, let's move away from the serious stuff, and let's talk about something else that is very serious to you. Let's talk about your original content. What can the listeners see? What can they expect to see 
in regards to your original content on things like your OnlyFans, your Just for Fans? Yes. Uh, so for right now, um, what you can expect to see are mostly solo, um, or like whether that's me jerking off, me writing a dildo, um, doing something out in public. Uh, most of my content right now is solo focused. Um, there are a few collabs on there on both OnlyFans and Just for Fans and some teasers on my Twitter. But for the most part, it's solo. Um, it is a bit difficult where I live right now to do some collaboration uh, due in part to aspects like how the environment is um, and the the gay side of hooking up or filming, um, being in the DMV area, it's very focused on one aspect or characteristic that I'm not, and due in part to a lack of content creators here. There are a few I've reached out to and a few who have reached out to me, um, but for the most part, most of it has gone nowhere. There's one that is in the works um, that I won't bring up yet just to not jinx it. And I have also not been posting as regularly on my site because I'm working on a very super secret project. Um, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, that will hopefully come out in the next month or so. Well, that was a nice tease. Very <laughs> nice. All right. I like it. I like it. How often do you update your um, various platforms in regards to where you um, upload new content? So before my dip in activity due to the Super Secret Project, I have tried to upload every week, um, once or twice a week, or once every couple weeks depending on how big a file I'm editing it. Um, right now, I'm sad to say, there aren't very many updates that have happened. Um, I am working on a couple of videos to post on there. Um, there will be different content on OnlyFans and Just for Fans. Um, OnlyFans, because of the numerous restrictions they have placed now, makes it a bit more difficult to put some of my content on. Um, I still love to do public stuff. Um, OnlyFans flags that, so most of that would be on just for fans. When it comes to your fans and the things that you post, what part of your body gets the most attention on social media? Definitely my cock. Um, that gets a lot of attention and plays in part to me being Asian. So as one might guess, um, my size is remarked upon a lot. Um, the second most talked about feature is my ass and then my face. 
if my face shows up in some video, sometimes I don't show my face. Uh, sometimes it's just POV style. So I would, yeah, mostly my cock in my ass. Let's talk about a recent production that has slowly started to drop on Peter Fever. You shot with them in Mexico for a new series of theirs that's called Gaycation Mexico. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, that experience was really fun. I had never been out of the country before. I had literally just gotten my passport a few days before the shoot, so that was that was exciting. Um, but I got to work with some models I worked with before, uh, as I stated, um, Alfonso of Naya and Dad Chang. They are wonderful to work with, so it was great to experience Mexico with them. Um, we filmed in Mexico City and Puerto Vallarta. We we had so much fun. Um, the models we worked with, like, uh, me personally, I worked with Angel Nash, Axel Bernal, and Fernando, I'm not sure his last name, um, so I'm not going to attempt, but it's spelled R-A-G-E-L, and Zed worked with um, Abraham Shahal, Alfonso, of course, and Eddie Medina. Those models were great. They were very friendly. The chemistry was off the charts. Um, it was a type of chemistry where we, no matter who was filming that day or who was on set, um, no one stopped fucking, essentially. Uh, the chemistry was red hot, so that made the shoot so much easier. Um, the downtime was amazing. We got to explore the nightlife of Mexico City and TV a lot. And the producer, Danny, and the director, Chris, and then Danny's husband, Sax. Um, they were great to work with. They made sure that our needs were met, so that was nice. Um, but no, that shoot was memorable. It, it's definitely in my, my top list of shoots I enjoyed doing. Tell me something quirky about yourself that most people don't know. Something unique about Nolan Knox. Hmm, something unique about Nolan Knox. I'm drawing a blank. Um, what what qualifies as unique? I mean, that's up to you. <laughs> it, it, it's you. Um, let's see. Something unique about me. I would say if you met me, in real life, um, or if you saw me out at a party, I would stand out because, number one, I'm tall, um, and number two, my hair changes colors every two weeks. Uh, right now, my hair is a dark red and black. Um, for the shoot, my hair was pink and black, and then 
Yeah, I think my most unique feature is that it keeps changing. I keep dyeing my hair every two weeks. I can't stop. It's like it's like a, a legitimate addiction. Describe yourself in ten words or less. In ten words or less. I am an introverted extrovert and I oof. How many words is that? Are you trying to form a sentence? Yeah. <laughs> what ten words or less? Um, that was four. I'm an introverted extrovert. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm an introverted extrovert and I really enjoy a good espresso martini. I think I hit <laughs> oh, right. over the word cap, but um I I drew a blank. But I really do love espresso martini. That would be my personality in a drink. As we start wrapping things up, I have this list of pop culture-oriented questions that are designed to allow the listeners and your fans to get to know some of your favorites. The first question in this set is, what are five of your most favorite television shows? Oh, okay. My five favorite right now are How I Met Your Father on Hulu. Um... Not Dead Yet, on Hulu. American Housewife. I forgot where I watched that. Um, a K-drama called Dr. Cha on Netflix. And RuPaul's Drag Race Season 6, exclusively. Who are four of your all-time favorite music artists? That would be Alan Walker, Martin Garrix, Avicii, and B.B. Rexha. What are three of your most favorite films? Oh, three of my favorite films. Um, Resident Evil, any of the movies, really. I love Mila Jovovich. Um, Army of the Dead, and The Day the Earth Stood Still. What are two foods you can't live without? Pho and ooh, curry, for sure. And what is one of your guilty pleasures? One of my guilty pleasures is, I don't know if it counts because I, I film it, but it is still exhibitionism. What are you currently binging? Are you currently binge-watching anything? Yes. Um, I am binging all seasons of American Housewives um, alongside re-watching Charmed. So I'm binging both. What's next for Nolan Knox? What's coming up in the near future that you can mention? I know there's a secret thing, so you can't mention that, but uh, is there anything that you can tease the fans that's coming soon? Yes. Um, along with the series coming out from Peter Fever, uh, The Vacation Mexico, um, I am working on... I'm working on something that will give me and my followers a bit 
more transparency and open communication um, when it comes to content and uploads, um, which is the Supersecret project I hinted toward, which I'm sure most people have yes by now. Um, but that is, that is also coming out soon. Very nice. How can your fans reach you? Where can they find you on the web, social media, as well as uh, you know the links on how they can subscribe to your original content? Yes. Um, so I am most active on Twitter, Instagram, for DMs or questions. That would be the Nolan Knox, all one word. My OnlyFans is OnlyFans.com slash Nolan Knox. Just for fans is the same. Just for fans slash Nolan Knox. Um, if you like more solo-oriented content, I would say go for OnlyFans. If you like a few more risque slash risky content, I would say go to Just for Fans. Um, but if you just want to talk, then my Instagram is available. Perfect. Well, this does bring us to the end of our interview. Is there anything that you would like to say to your fans and supporters that are tuning in? I really appreciate the support that I have gotten from my fans and followers, and some fans and followers who turned into friends. Um, without them, I really would not be here. And I'm sure that other models have said it, but it holds no less true. Uh, I wouldn't be doing this interview without them, and I wouldn't have had the opportunities I did without them. So I truly appreciate them and thank them from the bottom of my heart. Well, Nolan, I certainly want to thank you so much for the interview. I want to thank you for having me, Poppy Chula. You're welcome. I'm incredibly appreciative of you for being interested, for allowing One on One with Poppy Chulo to be the home of your first ever interview. I hope it was a good experience. It was. It was a great way to pop my cherry. Fantastic. I love the sound of that. And uh, the door is open for more. You have an open invitation whenever you want to come back to update the listeners on what you've been up to. Uh, you got an invite already. I would love to. I have enjoyed the open communication that we've had in this interview. So yeah, I will definitely come back. Fantastic. And listeners, I also want to thank you for tuning into One on One with Papi Chulo. Before we go, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Thank you for downloading One on One with Papi Chulo. Here are a few helpful reminders. For more information on One on One with Papi Chulo, Visit poppychularadio.com slash after dark. Follow Poppy Chulo on Twitter at twitter.com slash poppychulo one on one. That's at poppychulo. The number one. The word on. And the number one. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash poppychularadio. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash poppychularadio. Do you have any questions? Suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com.
Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. Back to you, Poppy Chulo. Thanks, announcer. And with that, Nola Knox and I would like to wish you and yours a wonderful night. Good night, listeners. Good night. Thanks for listening to One on One with Poppy Chulo. To contact us with any of your questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns, email us at contact at poppychuloradio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter by going to twitter.com slash poppychuloradio. And like us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash poppychuloradio. Be sure to listen again next week as we continue to showcase exclusive interviews with some of the adult industry's most popular male performers. This is Ben Patrick Johnson saying good night and have a wonderful week. <laughs>